Savior God to 
serve a great God. Amen. That song's awesome. That's a wonderful song. I remember years and years ago, I was at what was called the Ella Baptist Temple years ago, and I was 14. And I remember getting up and singing that song, and I did as a solo that day. And um, later that night, I was in, you know, the crowd and, um, um, oh my, my mind just went blank now. Um, Carl Hatch was at our church and some of you may not even know who he is but he was one of the most prolific soul winners in our generation and uh, he came up to me and he said young man you have a great future for God can I tell you that that impacted my life he didn't say much more than that I went out soul winning with him and things like that but just that little statement from a man that I so respected made such a difference. I don't say that because what he said came true, because I'm not convinced it did. But what I am convinced of is this. There's not a person in this room that doesn't have influence and can impact a life if they'll just say the right things. Let's be careful what we say to people. What you say can build them or it can break them. What I say can build or break and I just uh, am so thankful today for the word of a man of God that built. And he said something that encouraged. And you know what? You can say something to someone today that will encourage them too. And make a difference in their life. Don't sell yourself that short. All right, well, let's take our Bibles. Turn over to the book of Exodus today. <clears throat> we're going to turn to Exodus and we're going to look at chapter 20. We'll get there in just a few minutes. Well, yeah, we'll get there. <clears throat> I'm going to have you turn there. I'm not going to start using Scripture for a long time. I'm going to do what Baptists aren't allowed to do. Every good Baptist sermon, right, starts with a portion of Scripture. Well, I'm going to give you a little, kind of catch you up to what's going on because we're in our series now, and we're talking about the Lord's Day. And... Um, Last week, we noted some alarming trends in our society that we said should concern every believer. We said that only 47% of Americans are members of a house of worship. Well, that's pretty bad because less than half of Americans say they belong to, the, to a church, if you will. And that's not just talking about Baptist churches. That's talking about synagogues, mosques, or any other type of church. This marks the first time since Gallup began collecting data in 1937 that the majority of Americans aren't part of a church or a congregation. That membership, if you will, religious membership, was stable throughout the 20th century, but fell from 70% in the year 2000 to 47% in 2020. I don't know about you, but that's alarming. So we said there were some takeaways some things that we glean from this. There's an obvious lack of interest in the church today. Also, there's, there are less and less folks attending church than ever before. 
there's an overall lackadaisical and nonchalant attitude toward church and faith. It wasn't that long ago that our society, in general that is, recognized Sunday as the Lord's Day. Sundays were sacred. We said that businesses weren't open and, and, and that sales of alcohol never took place on Sundays for us quite a while in even our own state here in Ohio. What we said, these are all just symptoms though. It's all symptoms. The fact that people don't want to dawn the door of the church, that don't want to spend more time in the house of God, that they don't want to recognize the Lord's day as his day is just, well, it's a symptom of a greater problem. And again, it's just a departure from that mindset of the Lord's day, that it really is his day. Sadly, our culture has become more and more secularized and less and less concerned about the Lord's day. Today, Sundays aren't really any different than any other day of the week, are they? At least not for most. For you, it might be. For me, it is. But not necessarily for all, for sure. Stores and shops are open. Restaurants and fast food serve all day. Little League, by the way, they were open this morning. You who were here last week know what I'm talking about. <laughs> McDonald's was open. I have a first-hand account. But may I say that as convenient as some of those things are, honestly, I'd be willing to do without. Today, again, Sundays really aren't that much different than any other day of the week. You know, Sundays are viewed basically as a day of leisure, recreation, or household projects. A day to get those things done. Today, Sunday's most often viewed by people as what? My day off or my time to unwind. It's my time to get some things done around the house. Sunday's my day. And fewer and fewer folks accept Sunday as the Lord's day and fewer and fewer believe that it should be spent worshiping God. This year's theme is the Lord's day and for good reason. There must be a revival of the Lord's Day or we're going to continue to see growing trends away from God, away from God's house, away from godliness. When we think about this phrase, the Lord's Day, we find ourselves going back to the beginning where the principle was first introduced. In Genesis 2, 1 through 3, the Bible says, As thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had made. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in it he had rest from all his work which God created and made. And so we find in Scripture that God rested from his creative act. And realizing that God wasn't fatigued, tired, or wore out as a result of creating, we learned a few things. We learned that first, the rest that God's talking about there tells us that the creation was complete. And having ended his work, the Bible tells us that he rested and then he blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. What does it mean, blessed and sanctified? Well, he approved of it. It measured up to his expectation. And he sanctified it. He set it apart as his own and he set it apart as holy from other days. 
So God made the seventh day holy and God set it apart from the other six days of the week. God intended from the very beginning that there was to be a somewhat of a special day dedicated to rest and restoration. It, if you will, became somewhat of a pattern that he set. But this wouldn't be the last time we'd hear of this day of rest or this, as it would be called, Sabbath. Israel didn't always exist, by the way. In 2125 B.C., God called a man by the name of Abraham out from the Ur of the Chaldees. He called him away from his country and from his kindred and from his father's house. He told him that he would make of him a great nation, that he would give him a land in which he would dwell. And yet Abraham finally ended up in that land and Abraham began to have offspring. And Abraham had a son by the name of Isaac. Isaac would go on to have a couple of sons, Esau and Jacob. Jacob would in turn have 12 sons. And one of the most famous of his sons was a man by the name of Joseph. You may have heard of him. We know that Joseph, of course, lived in his father's house, but unfortunately because of the dreams that Joseph had, showing himself to be elevated and exalted amongst his brethren and even his mother and father, his brethren became envy and envious of him. And they became to where they, be, they got to the point where they literally hated Joseph. And so at one point, they ultimately cast him into a pit and sell him into slavery. And off to Egypt he goes. He finds himself in Potiphar's house. There in Potiphar's house, he is his elevated once again and exalted there in that house. And he's ruling and running the household. But unfortunately, he was lied about. And the master's wife claimed that he, she, he had sought to harm her. And as a result of that, he is cast into prison. We know that Joseph would remain in prison for some time. And then ultimately, we recognize the fact that he would be called out of prison. And before it was said and done, elevated to second in command, he would literally be Pharaoh's second-hand man. During a harsh famine, Joseph's brethren would come to Egypt and order to buy grain and there, while they were at Egypt, Joseph recognizes them. Eventually, he reveals himself to his brethren. He ultimately, again, says, by the way, guys, you might as well come on and live here with me because there's still many more years of famine. And he brings his father and his brethren, and all of them come and live with him. They're in the land of Goshen, and may I say, 70 of them came and after 400 years of living in, e in Egypt, the majority of those years being in slavery, God sends a man by the name of Moses. And he says, let my people go. They entered into Egypt 70. They came out a nation. Moses would lead those people, that nation, right out of Egypt and across the Red Sea and to the mount where he would give them the Ten Commandments and the law. It's here that the Sabbath is introduced and it's here that it is enforced. God had a unique relationship with Israel and he claimed them as his very own. 
The law was for Israel. And the law was for Israel alone. Turn, if you would, now to Exodus. You're in 20. Look at verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Here in chapter 20 of the book of Exodus is Moses sharing the law with the people, the law that God had given him. We will ultimately see the law restated again in Deuteronomy chapter 5, but for now we see it here in Exodus chapter 20 verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work. Thou shalt, thou nor thy son nor thy daughter, thy manservant nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. That Sabbath day was for Israel. And what was it all about? Well, I want to give you three simple little thoughts. One, we're going to see that it was a remembrance of God's pattern. Before we go any further, let's have a quick word of prayer. Father, we come to you. We know that without you, we can do nothing. And so, Lord, I invoke your presence and your power in this place. May you walk these aisles and bring conviction and change to hearts and lives. Lord, may you fill me with your Holy Ghost, and may you, Father, fill each person that's here. And may we hear with spiritual ears, and may our our hearts be enlightened. May we truly, Father, glean what you'd have for us, that we may grow in Christ. And if there be any that are without Jesus, may they find him as Savior and Lord even this morning. We love you, and we desperately need you today. Do what only you can in our presence by your power. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. It's a remembrance of God's pattern. Keep the Sabbath day, Israel. Well, why would we do that? First, I believe it's a remembrance of God's pattern. There's little doubt that God's pattern, uh, uh, that God's pattern of the day of rest is in view here because in Genesis 2 and 3, when we read about it at first, we saw that he blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. But then in Exodus chapter 20, verse 11, for in six days it says the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that therein is, and rested the seventh day, wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. There's, it, it's too, too much the same there to not be somehow connected. I mean, the wording's almost identical. It's as though God wanted them to understand and he made it clear. Remember, when you think of this Sabbath, I want you to realize that you aren't doing anything I haven't already done. You know, sometimes we get a little peeved with God because we don't understand why he requires us to do certain things a certain way. But can I tell you, God doesn't do anything to hurt us or to harm us. He does everything to help us. In this case, we see that it was a remembrance of God's pattern. Every time one of them Jews was out there and he'd say, oh man, I can't do nothing, it's the Sabbath day, I need to rest. Every time he kicked back in his sofa or his, or his lounge chair, he'd say, man, I remember God rested on the seventh day too. I remember that he set a pattern in heaven for us. I need to rest because God rested. Remembrance of God's pattern, but number two, a reminder of their time in Egypt and God's deliverance. 
Turn, if you would, to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Remember, I said that the, the, the law would be restated at some point. If you recall correctly, Israel had come out of Egypt and they went there to, to the mount and they received the law and Moses shares it with them. But unfortunately, when it came time to enter the promised land, they failed to obey. And so for 40 years, the people of God watched as their mothers and fathers and their grandmas and grandpas died in the wilderness. Until finally the generation that was below the age of 20 finally came to fruition. And now all those people that were 20 and over are dead. They are gone. But unfortunately, no one of the age beyond the age of 19, many of them would not have understood necessarily the, the law. They wouldn't have remembered maybe even the law being given. Maybe they weren't even around when it was given. And so Moses is going to restate the law. And notice in chapter 5 of Deuteronomy when he restates the law what he says. Chapter 5, verse 12. Keep the Sabbath day to sanctify it as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee. Six days thou shalt labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt do not do any work, thou, nor thy sons, nor thy daughter, nor thy maidservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thine ox, nor thine ass, nor any of the cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gate, that thy manservant and thy maidservant may rest as well as thou. Now watch what he says next. And remember that thou wast a servant in the land of Egypt, and that the Lord thy God brought thee out thence through a mighty hand and by a stretched out arm. Therefore the Lord thy God commanded thee to keep the Sabbath day. Again, Moses now is pointing to the Sabbath. And Moses is saying, every time you enjoy that bit of rest, every time you relaxed in your easy chair. Every time you take a break from work on the Sabbath day, you need to remember a few things. You need to remember you're getting to rest because you had no rest. Remember that you were once a slave in Egypt. And as a slave in Egypt, you worked like a dog. You didn't get any time off. You didn't get to rest. You worked at the uh, whim of your masters, your taskmasters, and they were harsh taskmasters. You remember every time that you take a break from work on that Sabbath, you think about what it used to be like back in Egypt. You remember what your parents endured and what your grandparents had to deal with. You remember what it was like being a slave over there in Egypt. You know the stories your parents told you, your grandparents told you how it used to be. You were miserably treated. Your time was not yours. Your day was not yours. Your family was not yours. You were bound and beaten, trapped and troubled, forlorn and fearful. You were miserable in Egypt. And then God. And then God sent a man to deliver you. And he gave you help and he gave you hope. And he provided you a life worth living. Sound familiar? <laughs> yeah. 
That Sabbath was a remembrance of God's pattern. That Sabbath was a reminder of their time in Egypt and God's deliverance. That Sabbath was a sign that they were God's and God was theirs. Turn if you would to Exodus chapter 31. Exodus chapter 31. Note verse 16 and 17. Back when the law was given the first time, it made it clear that this was the case. It says, Wherefore the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations for a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. The Sabbath was a sign to the Israelites that they had been set apart as followers of the Most High God. That Sabbath reminded them that they were unique and special in the eyes of God. Every time an Israelite said, man, I'm sick and tired of resting. I wish I could go out and work and make some money. Someone said, don't you realize how special we are to God? That Sabbath is a picture of how special we are. God's treated us so good. What we have would never have happened if it wasn't for God at all. We'd still be in slavery. Their keeping of the Sabbath would help remind them of that unique relationship they had with God. And it would distinguish them from the nations around them. Those nations around them, they wouldn't have kept the Sabbath. They'd have no reason to keep the Sabbath. They'd have no reason to have a day of rest. Why not work? Why not make money? Why not enjoy family? Why not go out and have sporting events and run your Olympics and do everything you do? What in the world would you take a day off for when there's so little time and there's so much to do? It would be a day like any other for them. And so they would have approached the city and they would have sought to buy and sell on the Sabbath. Turn, if you would, to Nehemiah chapter 13, because that's exactly what was happening. It's important to remember that after the return to Jerusalem, following the Babylonian captivity, the people neglected the Sabbath. They got in a real bad habit. They were doing business on the Sabbath day with the heathen around them. They had lost sight of the Sabbath, and they didn't see a need for it. They were struggling and having a difficult time and their faith had been eaten away at and now they find themselves responding virtually like the heathen around them. And Nehemiah would remind them, hey listen, don't you forget, your fathers forgot the Sabbath and in the forgetting the Sabbath, they forgot me. And that's why you ended up in the mess you were in, in captivity. And now here you are, following in their footsteps. Look what happens here in Nehemiah 13, verse 19. Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 19. <clears throat> and it came to pass that when the gates of Jerusalem began to be dark before the Sabbath, I commanded that the gates should be shut 
and charged that they should not be opened till after the Sabbath. And some of my servants set I at the gates, that there should no burden be brought in on the Sabbath day. So the merchants and sellers of all kind of ware lodged without Jerusalem once or twice. <laughs> then I testified against them and, I, and said unto them, Why lodge ye about the wall? If you do so again, I'll lay hands on you. He said, I'll beat you bad. I'm going to tear into your hide. I'm going to chase you like wild dogs. From that time forth came they no more on the Sabbath. He said, that happened twice. After twice, that was it. You get three strikes, brother. On that third strike, you're out. So I'm going to give you a chance next week. Hey, I'm going to give you one last chance, friend. You don't know what our custom is. We keep the Sabbath. We don't do that no more. I know some of the people got astray, and I know they went the wrong direction, and you might have got the wrong idea, but we are God's people. And we're going to acknowledge that day of rest, and we're going to keep the Sabbath, and we're going to worship our God. We're not going to do barter with you. We're not going to do merchandising with you. It's not time to work. It's time to rest and to reflect on our God who delivered us out of Egypt. And so he shut the gates, and he threatened the merchants with harm if they returned. I'm sure they didn't understand. I'm sure they were kind of confounded. I'm sure they didn't appreciate it. However, they were reminded that Israel was different and that they were committed to their God. These Israelites were different from all other nations and their God was different from all other gods. And God gave Israel the Sabbath. And it served as a sign between him and them and the unique covenant between the two. And it associated them with God among all the other nations. What a special relationship they had with God. What a unique relationship they had with the Creator. So different than all the other nations. And every single Sabbath day, it began at 6 o'clock on Friday night and went through Saturday at 6 o'clock. The Israelites would be still as they lifted up their eyes to heaven. And the world would view them and say, they're different. And their God is different. We don't understand it, but there's something different about them and their God. It associated them with God among other nations. What an association that is. Hmm. What amazing association. So the Sabbath was a remembrance of God's pattern. The Sabbath was a reminder of their time in Egypt and God's deliverance. The Sabbath was a sign that they were God's and God was theirs. Now, I'm going to say this, and I think it's important to remember that we're not Israel. I don't have to remember being in Egypt. I was never in Egypt. I was never a slave in Egypt. The Sabbath wasn't given to me. 
as being part of the body of Christ. It was given to the Israelite. It was given to the Jew. It was given to a nation. And they are still God's people. Although they may be on the back burner, so to speak, God will once again resume dealing with Israel again. We see evidence of that already. It's a number of years ago they were beginning to come back into their homeland and established a nation again, and now they're recognized around the world. But one day they'll be more than recognized. They'll be reigning. As the Lord Jesus Christ takes his place on the throne of David. Being part of the church again, we're not Israel, and therefore we're not required to keep the Sabbath, as Israel did. You don't have to stop all work at 6 o'clock on Friday and wait till 6 o'clock Saturday night to resume. I don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. But I think we'd be certainly wise to keep the Lord's Day. You say, well, what's the difference? The Sabbath is for the Jew. The Lord's Day is for the Christian. We'll talk a little more about that next week. You say, but we're not under the law. We don't have to go to church. If we don't want to, don't go to church. Don't go. You'll still get to heaven. Backslidden as you'll be, you'll get there. You won't experience the joy of the Lord in your life. You won't grow as God intended. You won't be enjoying the the benefits of being the child of God as God intended because how can you do that if you're forsaking the assembling of yourselves together? And so much the more as you see the day approaching. My oh my, not just on the Lord's day, but as often as you possibly can, even as the early church did daily. Say, well, I know they went to the synagogue in, the old, in, in that early church. They sure did. They went to the synagogue on Friday night. And guess what they were doing on Saturday night? Because at that point, they were still operating under a Jewish calendar. So on Friday night, they were in that synagogue. They were in the, the, uh, worshiping with those people and going in there and trying to talk to them about Jesus and remind them that he did die, was buried, and rose again. And try to encourage them to say, listen, don't you believe in that old system called the law? You believe in Jesus Christ and grace through faith. And they hated their guts for it. And then they'd all get together on that first day of the week. And then they'd say, whoo, we're finally together. We're finally in a safe place. We're not ministering now. We're being ministered to. And we're worshiping our God. The preachers would stand up and proclaim the truth of God's word. And the people would drink it in. And they'd go and serve one another and eat and fellowship with one another. I say, I just don't see it. They had the Sabbath. We're not told we have to join, get together on the Lord's Day, which is really the day Jesus Christ resurrected. It's the day called the eighth day. Well, let's look at just two passages, and I want to show you the parallel, how close this is, how related they are. Look at Deuteronomy 14.2. We said that God in creation established a pattern of rest. I believe that pattern is still in existence. I still believe it's important that we step aside, that we take a step back and we reflect. That we retreat, that we refocus, that we return, that we remind ourselves again of what is truly important. 
Look at what it says in Deuteronomy 14, 2. Speaking of the Jewish people or the or nation of Israel. For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God, and the Lord hath chosen thee to be a peculiar people unto himself above all the nations that are upon the earth. We have God the Father, and he has his bride, Israel. And he's saying to them, listen, I'm telling you, you are a holy people unto me, and you are, you are chosen of me. You are a peculiar people. Now I want you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. And I want you to see now the bride of Christ, Jesus. God has his bride, Israel. Christ has his bride, the church. Notice what he says to his bride. Peter the apostle is speaking now under inspiration of the Holy Ghost. And he says, but ye, 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Here it is, a holy nation, a peculiar people that ye should shew forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I don't know about you, but that seems like it's pretty tied together. There's a lot of terminology there that seems to kind of go together. It seems like what God is saying to Israel, Jesus Christ is saying to us. And can I tell you, if God required a day for his people to take a day of rest and reflect upon him and to refocus on him and to get some things right with him and to stay where they needed to be in their relationship and walk with him amidst a very perverse generation. I'm going to tell you, Jesus sounds like he's saying the same thing to his church. Listen, you don't have to keep the Sabbath, but friend, you'd be wise to keep my day. In doing so, we're following God's pattern. In doing so, we're reminded of a day when we were in the world and away from God. A day in which we were enslaved by Satan and bound for hell. But God sent His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, who laid down His life and provided a sacrifice for our sin. In doing so, every time we gather together on the Lord's Day, the world sees a people who are uniquely God's and, and, and that God is theirs. Why do you go to church every Sunday? Because that's the Lord's day. I give that day to the Lord because he gave his life for me. And I need it. Because out in this whole world, I can get distracted and I can get off track and I need to be brought back into focus and I need to recognize what's most important in my life. And it's Jesus Christ. doing so every time we gather together on the Lord's day the world sees a people who are uniquely God's and that God is theirs and you know now more than ever this seems true and it seems as though we can be even a greater witness than ever just by going to church faithfully seeing that the Lord's day is becoming discarded in our nation as fewer and fewer people acknowledge its significance and make it a priority. It will only make us stand out more. And in, in the end, make it real clear, there's something different about that one and about the God they serve. They're so committed. Wow, there's something unique about them and their God. Well, that'd be good, huh? 
hey, we're no longer under the law. Again, we were never slaves in Egypt, but we can appreciate a day of rest and we can reflect and refocus on our God who delivered us from the sin where once we were enslaved. The Lord's Day. The Lord's Day. A day that we are encouraged to retreat from the daily cares of life. A day in which we are to refocus on the Lord. A day in which we are to return to the altar. A day that reminds us of what is truly important. It provides us with that rest. And in refocusing on the Lord, we reverence ourselves before Him. As we return to the altar, we rededicate our lives every week. And we should be doing that every day anyway. But it reminds us of what's truly important, and in doing so, it realigns us again. When I was in the military, I told you I worked a retrans station. And all retrans station was was a Jeep with two radios and a big tall tower that you assembled. And the signal would come in on into this radio on this side of your Jeep on one frequency, and we would retransmit it in another frequency down the road. A retrans station. But what would happen would be is that this radio would get out of sorts. And it wouldn't transfer or retransmit to this one. You know what we had to do? We had to recalibrate this radio. It had to go to the shop and the technicians would have to open it up and begin to work on the inside of it and do something to where ultimately it was recalibrated. It was put back into alignment. So that when you dialed in the frequency... It received it properly. Can I tell you that's exactly what the Lord's day does for us? Man, we get all out of sorts in the world and we come here and God has to do an operation in our hearts and recalibrate us so that we can receive His signal clearly and then we're able to take it out and share it with the world. The Lord's Day. I wonder today, do you know Christ is your Savior? I hope and pray you do. And if you do, then you're to be that peculiar people, that holy nation he talks about in 1 Peter. We need the Lord's Day to recalibrate, to realign, but maybe you don't know Christ as your Savior today. Maybe you're here 
for the first time or you've been here over and over again, but you can't honestly say that if something would happen to you today or tonight, if you closed your eyes in death, you're not confident that heaven would be your home. You don't know for sure whether or not Jesus Christ literally paid for your sin on the cross or not. You know he died on the cross. You know that he rose again, but maybe you've never invited him into your life. You've never said, Lord, I'm that sinner you died for. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And Lord, I want to thank you for dying for me and paying for my sin and taking my place. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Do you have the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, living in your life? Have you invited him in? He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's knocking today. He's saying, listen, I died for you. You're in slavery today. The devil is holding you captive. You have no hope without me. You will live your entire life in bondage and in slavery to sin, and then you will die in your sin and spend an eternity separated from me because of it. But I came 2,000 years ago and died on a cross and shed my precious, perfect blood for you. I lived that sinless life that you can't. I paid for your penalty. And all you need to do is receive and accept me right where you are today. Invite me into your life. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out, he said. Won't you come to him today? You say, I don't know how to do that. In just a moment, the music will begin to play and there'll be folks, some might make their way to an altar just to pray or to recalibrate or possibly to pray for a loved one or a friend or someone that's in need. Maybe just in general about what took place in the message and how God spoke to them. When that happens and that music begins to play, won't you just simply slip out of your seat, come forward, and Brother Kavanaugh will be at the front. You see the man right up front. And you say, listen, I need to settle some things with God. He'll have someone take this blessed book, the Word of God, and show you the precious promises. It won't be a Baptist way. It won't be a Methodist way. It won't be Presbyterian. It won't be Catholic. It'll be God's way, because it's in his word. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for your love and your grace and for your wonderful mercy in our lives. We are so needy today. Lord, I ask, dear God, you'd help us to recognize and understand the importance, the significance of the Lord's day. I know, Lord, that we're not required by law, but Lord, why wouldn't we want to? Lord, how special is that day for you and your people? What a testimony it can be to the world. What a blessing and a help and hope it can be to us. Lord, may you just bless us now. And be with us as we seek to retreat from the daily cares of life. As we seek to refocus on you and to return to your altar. And 
to be reminded again of what's important. Recalibrate us, realign us, Lord. And Father, for the person who's yet to know you as Savior and Lord, who still has questions as to whether or not heaven would be their home, as to whether or not they've invited Christ in their life, I pray that you'd give them the very courage they need to step out of the under the aisle and come forward. I pray that you would give them conviction in their life so that they recognize their, their need of a Savior, that their sin is literally binding them, and that Christ alone can rescue them and free them. Do your work in our hearts, Lord. Holy Spirit of God, only you will move us. We pray for your leadership now here in this place. Do a work in our lives. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand.